Welcome to another edition of Tech Writer Voices, a podcast specifically for technical communicators. My name is Tom Johnson. We're on the web at www.techwritervoices.com. Co-host is Heidi Hansen. She's a member of the Puget Sound STC chapter. I'm a member of the Suncoast chapter. And each week we try to deliver some of the most interesting news, trends, and other information about technical writing. So, so that it can help you in your field, in your daily job, and get you more excited about, about technical writing. This week, our podcast is only about 20 minutes. We're trying to keep it at that length. And we'd love to hear feedback if you can send any note of any sort to tom at techwritervoices.com. We would love to hear from you. Okay, we're going to go to the show. So, Tom, I was reading on your website, your you had a in, very interesting thread about the uh, is technical communication boring? And your initial post, we once I think we once talked about it here on the podcast, but the thread and the comments that you've received are just excellent. And so I think I think we should cover that right now. Okay, all right. Let, let me just give a little background about how this thread got started. I have a friend, Clyde Parson, who is who's getting into technical writing or not getting into technical writing, getting into blogging about technical writing. And he, he posted a survey on the appeal of different technical writing blogs. And one of the blogs that he put on there was a blog by a technical writer who, who initially wrote more about technical writing, but hadn't written about technical writing for quite a while. And so he was surprised to see his blog being considered among the other technical writing blogs. And the reason he said he hadn't written about technical writing is that it bored him. He didn't find it that interesting. And another another blogger chimed in to say that technical writing also bores her. So it prompted this question of, well, is this whole field that we're engaged in of technical writing, is it is it boring? And um, it, it really got me thinking because so much of my stuff is, is centered around technical writing. My, my blog is on technical writing. This podcast is on technical writing. My job from... Eight to five is on technical writing. So you know, if all these things are boring, and if life is is uh, drudgery, that's that's not something that we want to. I mean, that's a concern, obviously. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> as you said, the comments on this post were were much more fascinating than the original post because there's a lot of people on both sides of it, and. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I should refer to this person as Monkey Pi, but that's that's her name. She <laughs> she says that uh, tech writers are 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 much more than just tech writers, and and this goes along with something else we're going to talk about tonight. But she says tech writers are user advocates. User behaviors change, so we have to continually evolve, and that's what makes tech writing the antithesis of boring. Every five years, we're doing something different: procedures to manuals, manuals to online, online to inline. Hard copy to HTML to wikis, flowcharts to screen caps to captivate demos, etc. And she says, sure, worrying about parallelism and procedures and frame maker building blocks can be boring, but I've always felt that tech writers have an immense influence on how technology evolves. Sure, engineers innovate things and marketers sell them, but only we, user advocates, can create or destroy perceptions in the minds of users, which is where the real power is. And uh, some some writers exchanged views below that, but uh, this was an an interesting point about how technical writing actually has a 
major impact on the direction of technology because we either we create the perception of whether this product is easy to use, whether it's a powerful product, or what what can be done with it. Do, did you have any thoughts, Heidi, on on some of the on this question of is technical writing boring? Uh, yeah, I'd, I really liked the the Monkey PI uh, response just because I enjoyed reading the evolution. Um, you know how she felt the you know from manual to guide to topics to embedded help the inline stuff i just think that that's just very interesting way to look at it and and the fact that we're doing videos now and doing you know embedded and you know the other thing about all of those posts was it struck me how how everyone was a lot of people were very interested in the usability side of it and the user interface and uh you you had a good suggestion about where to where people should go and and i i just there's a lot of overlap with other fields and you know obviously uh user experience design is one of them and it it just was really interesting how a lot of these people were like oh i view technical communication and technical writing jobs as a stepping stone you know like i'm just passing through i want to go do something else but then i synthesized that in my mind with what we were talking about a couple podcasts ago where um i forget who it was but the person said oh you know oh it was the survey about how how in demand um experienced technical communicators are right now especially ones who have the product knowledge say you write for insurance and you just know a lot about insurance or same with mortgages or you just have a lot of experience in your industry and i just compared and contrast that to you know these views of oh technical writing is something you just pass through versus this other person saying oh if you have 10 years 12 years of experience in one industry you are definitely sought after and in one realm it's kind of like why because it's rare because it this career is a stepping stone you know and and it was just very interesting to think about that and as a field um it's like uh you, you want, you know, there are managers and there are, you know, directors of publishing and directors of uh, documentation or, you know, or there are managers, um, but the managerial jobs are few and the technical writers jobs are many. But I don't know, I just thought thought that that was, it's just uh, one of those things where I always think about, you know, how the field is, uh, is it a stepping stone field and what does that say and and obviously it's not because you know you are in demand with these skills because of the emphasis on information and what you can do with the written word and and how that has value to a company but just yeah just a very interesting thought-provoking thread yeah uh, i always see technical communication as as encompassing so many different aspects of different disciplines that uh I mean, you could definitely step in another direction, but you don't have to. Technical communication, at least in my experience of it, it includes web design and information architecture and usability and project management and and marketing and training and and uh, all kinds of different different facets of other fields that that you blend into it. And actually, this kind of goes along with a quote from an article that you wanted to talk about by Andrea Ames and Michelle Corbin on uh, information architecture. 
I just want to read one quote of it. She says, or they say, as has been typical of our field for some time, the technical communicator is expected to be a jack of all trades, information architect, information designer, writer, visual designer, information usability engineer, as well as information development tool jockey. And I think when you when you look at all those different fields, I mean, technical writing can't can't be boring. If if your job is limited to just writing short little statements that say click this button, select this feature or select this this uh and that, you know, yeah, it's going to be boring and it, if that's all you did from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, it would be drudgery as one of the persons said. But but it encompasses so much more than that. And if you're actively engaged in in the theory of of everything you're doing, it, it can come alive. Not to mention that it can be what you make it because say you're not doing embedded help or you're not commenting on the dialog boxes or you're not doing videos or you're not looking at this, you know, putting your help on a server so that you can see what your users are typing in the search engine so that you can target and mine some of that data from your users. And so it's kind of like if if you don't stick your neck out and do some of those other things, then... Right, maybe you do, you know, have a little bit more repetition than somebody else who's always trying to invent ways to be a little bit, uh, have a little bit better information and information product than, uh, you know, other, like, you know, help files or something. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk more about um, that Ames article? I do. We should mention that it's in the Technical Communication Journal in uh, the February 2007 issue, and the title is called Contributing Strategically to the Success of Our Customers and Our Businesses. And I actually wanted to read um, a couple paragraphs, and it'll be real real quick, but I think it'll kind of show the essence of um, a kind of a new term that I think that they're coining a little bit. So she says, so they say, as information is recognized as a dimension of the overall user experience as opposed to an adjunct element to the experience, the the importance of the usability of that information and how well it integrates into the website or product of which it is a part begins to enjoy equal priority with the interaction design and visual design. And then she says... Technical communicators must begin to think about information architecture significantly more broadly than we do generally do today. This focus has further driven the evolution of the information architect in a technical communication context from the person who organizes help topics to the person who drives all of the information aspects of the analysis and design phases of a traditional life cycle. And then she also says, in organizations with a formal user experience design process, the information architect becomes the information experience architect, taking responsibility for the experience of using the information and the way the users interact with the information in whatever form it may take. Okay, and and so you get the point, but... uh, I just think it's really interesting about how, and then at the end of the article she says, okay, if you don't even have an, a user experience uh, realm, you know, a role at all, maybe you drive the user experience or some, or at least drive the information experience. So the term I think that they're coining here is this information experience. So, 
You know, one of the, and I've never really thought of it that way before, but it's just, you add value through this content, through this information, and it's not that you have to do something uh, like a video to add value, it's that the content that you create, maybe, is it's so searchable and it's so handy to your, say, your, to your software, that this becomes an information experience. When someone can retrieve your topic and and be on their way with a solution that you provided, and and they're on their way in one minute. Say that that adds so much so much value, and you and and here they're saying, okay, you just contributed to an information experience that is superior and adds value to their you know your your client's day. And I just think that that's really interesting. I, I agree. I was reading a post by the Creating Passionate Users, and uh, the person was talking about this. Uh, a set of training materials for horse riding, but but she was talking about how it's totally added to the value of their product and put it far superior to any of the competitors. And I think a lot of companies just don't realize that that users do read the help, and if it's good help, it really makes the product much more appealing because you can figure out how to use it. You're not going to have to spend hours in frustration. Um, I, I once went into Best Buy to buy a wireless router, and and the clerk told me that that uh, 80% of the wireless routers are returned and, because people can't can't get them set up or, or they have other problems with them. And clearly in, in products like that, the information experience of the user is paramount and it's going to set your product apart from others and it will totally contribute to the bottom line. Yeah, the other thing is that, um, and last thing about the article is that is she, she, she kind of defines at the beginning, you know, what what is an information architect and, and how does that differ and how is it a part of your technical communication um, duties, you know. So, so I always kind of wonder, am I an information architect? You know, what's in a label? What's in a name? And she kind of demystifies that at the beginning, which I think is is you know very interesting uh to read about just that part and then she gets into the kind of the meat of you know s- strategically thinking about your information content which is just just great yeah i i what caught my attention in that article is is also her explanation of this transformation of our industry from a book paradigm to a chunked paradigm as in other words in the past People kind of took information in more in a, a book type um, model, whereas today it's it's by chunks, and and that's partly the influence of the internet because it's an experience of hyperlinking from one chunk to another chunk. Yeah, and they did talk about the fact that younger readers will definitely probably be able to jump very well. So we should mention again that that article is by Andrea Ames and Michelle Corbin. So uh, you'll probably want to check that out. It's a great article. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was thinking also. I was I was listening to a podcast today that that fit in with this topic of the transformation of the industry. And all right, well, Ames and Corbin were talking about how everything is chunked now, and that's what users like. And uh, this podcast today I was listening to was about Web 2.0, and the guy said that he engages in all these Web 2.0 technologies because it's like having a hundred researchers that are personally working for him and presenting information to him. And I think as our industry begins to incorporate more information from users, that this information is going to be even more chunked. It's going to be more 
a set of disparate little pieces of information that we as writers are going to have to architect and, and construct in some kind of coherent flow for the for the user or some kind of meaningful way that we can make it accessible. So it's definitely going to heighten the importance of being an information architect. Anyway, thought I would add that in. Um, did you want to talk about any, any other articles that you read this week? Uh, no, that's about it. Okay. I think we're done. We, we decided to keep this one short, right? This is a 15-minute podcast. Yeah, I did I did want to say a couple quick things, not about articles. but um, So I did a video for work. Actually, I did three in the past couple weeks. And uh, one thing I learned is that you definitely want to write your script first and then maybe do a walkthrough with uh, an editor or something because that could make it really go more quickly. And uh, now, wait, wait. When you say you did a video, is this like a captivate video, or is this an actual video, like a video camera video? Um, no, it's uh, right. It's a cam Camtasia, so it's just uh, the mouse rolling across the screen, and then with audio. So, and what'd you learn from the, from this? That you need a need to plan it out or something? Oh yeah, I think that writing a script first is definitely a great first step, and really that just comes right from your online help, and then and then uh, do like a maybe a storyboard in PowerPoint or start to walk through uh, your mouse actions in the software, and and then demo it for someone even before you record the video or right after you do a rough sketch of the video uh, files. So. Did you did you release it to users yet? Have you got any feedback? Uh, no, it it'll be posted um, to our internal users on the web on a on a password protected just for our clients. So in the next uh, probably couple of weeks, so we can start to get feedback later on. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, speaking of video, I, the reason I asked whether it was a can, you know Captivate Camtasia or a different video, my wife has been doing videos on on like YouTube. It's crazy. Like she just totally took off with the uh, with the video camcorder and has been using Movie Maker and splicing things and adding transitions. And you know, it's she's not necessarily a, a techie, but she's turning into one. And um, it's kind of fascinating to see all these these new media technologies that are enabling us to put information in other other mediums that maybe in the past were never feasible because of file size or, or technical hassle. So. Oh, yeah. Speaking of media, I saw that you posted about um, how to embed an audio file into somebody's HTML file, uh, HTML site, website. So that, that looks like it would be helpful for people. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, somebody had asked me about that who, who doesn't use WordPress as their blogging platform. Uh, because I use the PodPress plugin, which makes it really easy. But but if you go to one pixel out, and I'll put that link in the show notes, uh, it, it's got the same audio player, and you just embed some code and, and upload a file to your your server and uh, or your web host and put it there, and it it uh, will play it. And the good thing about this is that about this this audio player is that when you click, it immediately starts to play. It doesn't have to like load the whole thing. So anyway, I I really am hoping that more people will start to record their chapter presentations and they can put them online and, and things like that. So. And have you checked out, uh, the last thing I was going to talk about is, have you checked out the Grammar Girl podcast? Uh, 
I have. I have. It's it's a good one. Do you listen to it? No, but I finally listened to the DMC or DMN Communications, and uh, they were talking about how much I think they like it or uh, or how, yeah, or something. I forget what, what I was listening to that recommended it, but yeah, it was a good recommendation. So, Or maybe it was NPR, but yeah. It's it's actually a really well put together podcast. It's it's short. Each episode is maybe three to four minutes, but uh, and it's scripted, so she's reading it. I'm assuming, and she's very um, <clears throat> focused on a specific principle, like lay versus lie, or the word hanged, or or other specific things, apostrophes. So it's it's good, and even if you've got a good grasp of grammar, it's good to review some of these things, like all the different tenses of, in which lay and lie is used. I thought that was a good refresher. But I have to say, my one my one feedback, and, and you know, she's very popular. She was like on the top top posts or top podcasts in iTunes. But uh, I think when you start to talk about grammar, you get to be very self-conscious about your own grammar. So <laughs> I don't know if she could ever just cut loose and talk freely for fear of making a grammar mistake and being called on by hundreds of people. But it's definitely a, a good one to check out, and we'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> All right, Tom. All right. Thanks, Heidi. All right. You've been listening to Tech Writer Voices. I'm Tom Johnson, and my co-host is Heidi Hansen. You can visit us online at, at techwritervoices.com or send an email of feedback to tom at techwritervoices.com. I was thinking about the topic for our next show, and while I was jogging on the treadmill today, I thought it would be really cool if we had some kind of STC election focus where maybe the candidates could give us their spiel about what they're going to do as the next STC president or what they feel are the biggest issues to address. So if you're running for something in the STC, the national sort of elections, why don't you drop me a line and, and we'd love to have you on the show. It's an opportunity to get your message out to hundreds of eager listeners and to uh, basically let them know who you are. So again, if you're interested in that or if you listen and you want to tell somebody who was running who doesn't listen to the show just let them know all right thanks